Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now installing Ultra Instinct. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the fourth episode of She-Hulk, and we have episode reviews for the premiere of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and House of the Dragon. Plus, we're talking the fallout of AEW's All Out. All right, but before we move on, Damon, what time is it? It is giveaway time, uh, once again. The show is coming off one of our most successful months ever, and the fact that we've been doing this for almost five years and we're still growing is pretty fucking amazing. So we thought we'd celebrate a little by giving away a copy of your choice, either Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, or Thor Love and Thunder on Blu-ray. To enter for a chance to win, all you have to do is either write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or leave a five-star rating on Spotify. Uh, Once you're done doing that, take a screenshot, DM us it, uh, at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media platforms, and you are automatically entered for a chance to win one of those Blu-ray copies. Now, once again, if you've done this already in the past, hell, do it again. It still helps with the algorithm, and you get a chance to win. Uh, I mean, this isn't a humble brag, but we've got a lot of people subscribed to the show over on Apple, and that's where we get like the majority of our downloads. Uh, so like, if just one out of 10 of those subscribers would just take a minute and do this, like it would actually be like life-changing for the podcast. So, I mean, please take the time to do it, uh, you know, regardless if you want to win a copy or not. Now, let's say for some reason you don't listen to the show on either one of these platforms. That's totally cool. We still want you to have a chance to win. So go ahead and follow us either on Twitter or on Instagram at Amazing Nerd Show. On Twitter, go ahead and retweet the pin post. On Instagram, go ahead and like the pin post. And then make sure to DM us and let us know that you want to be entered for a chance to win one of the copies of the Blu-rays. And that's it. That's all you have to do. So hopefully that's not too confusing. Uh, at some point at the end of September, we'll go ahead on the podcast and announce a randomly selected winner. And just like our other contests, this is going to be a podcast-only uh, giveaway. So... Just because we want people who actually listen to the show and support us weekly to have a chance to win. So that's it. Uh, Hopefully that wasn't too complicated. We just want everyone to have an opportunity here. Uh, You know, so make sure you go ahead. Do yourself a favor. Uh, Do one of those four options. Hell, do all four of those options. Uh, And you're officially entered. And good luck. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Up first, Dan Lin is reportedly passing on being the head of DC Comics Film and TV. Recently, we reported on Warner Brothers Discovery looking for its own Kevin Feige to become the head over DC Films and Television, and it seemed their search led them to producer Dan Lin, best known for his works on the Lego movies and It. But sources tell Deadline that negotiations went south when Dan Lin tried to, you know, bring his production company Rideback into the talks, hoping that Warner Brothers Discovery would purchase an equity stake in the company. But at this time, we don't know if this is actually what stopped the deal from happening. Yeah. Yeah, when this story originally broke, 
they did state that his production company could be a sticking point. Um, and apparently that was the case. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's just another bump in the very long road to, you know, finding their Kevin Foggy. But hopefully Warner Brothers Discovery can find the right person for the job and get the franchise back on track. But all right, moving on to more DC news. Uh, the sequel to The Batman has landed a new co-writer. Deadline reports that Mattson Tomlin, who recently wrote on films like Mother Android on Hulu and Project Power on Netflix, will be co-writing The Batman and two with Matt Reeves. Clearly things are on the move now after a massive deal was agreed upon between Matt Reeves and Warner Brothers Discovery. But unfortunately I wasn't the biggest fan of Project Power on Netflix, but you know, I can't judge someone based off of one work. Yeah, I agree. And you've got to trust Matt Reeves' judgment, right? Like he's not going to just trust anyone with his baby. I would hope. <laughs> I would hope. All right, moving on. We've got some Joker sequel casting news. Looks like Oscar nominated Catherine Keen will be joining the cast of Joker Folly Adieu, best known for her work in being John Malkovich, Capote, and more recently, Get Out, Keener joins our musical as we continue to see stars with a lot of range being added to the film. Yeah, I could totally see her playing like a Nurse Ratchet role. She feels like the perfect fit to be that like me nurse in Arkham, yeah. right? No, yeah, especially like after, you know, getting Gleason last week, I feel like we're starting to just see the medical team filling out each week with these casting news. Well, on to the Marvel side of things. We've got a rumor that the Fantastic Four has casted a major role. Ahead of D23, rumors have been flying and industry scoopers have claimed that Killing Eve star and Free Guy star Jodie Cormer could be Marvel's Sue Storm in the MCU's Fantastic Four. There has been tons of rumors, including predictions from me, that we will see see the official cast of the Fantastic Four this weekend at D23. But we'll talk more about all the happenings from that event on next week's episode. Listen to you trying to take credit for some kind of scoop. <laughs> you and half of the fucking internet were saying the same damn thing. And it's pretty fucking obvious that they're going to make major announcements at D23. Like, I mean, is that your headline? It's it's my scoop, scoop master. Gaming. Scoop master Christian, yes. Major stories are going to break at D23 for Marvel. Like, no shit. I'm putting it on my resume anyway. as we speak. <laughs> anyway, I'm not familiar whatsoever with her work. Uh, hopefully she's talented. Christian, do you know her from anything? I mean, I've seen both of those and she did fine in both. So I, I, I have no I issues. Saw, I saw neither of them. And I know recently <laughs> there's been a rumor swirling that uh, the, the serial killer from the You Show on Netflix, Penn Badgley Christian, right? Yeah. Might be playing Reed Richards. Uh, but at this point, that's just a rumor. But I guess according to our resident scooper, Christian, we'll find out more news at D23. You're welcome. Well, we've got more Marvel news. It sounds like the Halloween special Werewolf by Night has casted its villain. Illuminati reports that Harriet Sampson Harris, who recently starred in Ratchet and Licorice Pizza, could be the villain for Werewolf by Night's Halloween special. She has been casted as a character named Verusa, whose role is described as the leader of a cult from the House of Bloodstone. Perhaps this character is overseeing the monster hunter Elsa Bloodstone, who was rumored to be a part of this series and being played by Laura Donnelly, who starred in HBO Max's The Nevers. Now, it's interesting because Bloodstone, I believe in the comics, is more of a heroic character. I believe at one point she was part of the Midnight Suns. Uh, her father is kind of a, you know, Marvel's bootleg version of Van Helsing. Uh, 
yeah, so, I mean, we'll see where that all leads to. I mean, when she originally debuted, she was very Buffy-esque, so maybe this cult is, like, her version of, like, the Watchers. Um, you know, like... Giles from Buffy, basically. At least when the character originally debuted, she was very Buffy-esque. So I'm wondering if this cult could be like her version of like the Watcher's Council. Either way, I feel like it's just going to be a, you know, not all monsters are bad type of storyline for her. <laughs> well, and that's very much the Werewolf by Night story. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Up next, we have some Ironheart casting news. Another series regular has been casted for the Disney Plus series Ironheart. According to Bleeding Cool, Shakira Barrera, who's best known for her role on the Glow Netflix series, will be joining Dominic Thorne and cast on this new show. Well, I got a potential scoop for you, Christian. Uh, we could possibly hear some more Ironheart news at D23. <laughs> <laughs> You don't maybe, say, Damon. Maybe. <laughs> hey, when I said it back then, I, you were I, like, I don't think they're going to do that. But that's only because at the time they didn't have a director. My bold predictions yes, guide the way, Yes, your bold predictions Damon. that literally thousands of people were saying on the internet. You know I don't listen to people on the internet. Uh-huh. Sure, Chris. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, we have even more Cassia news for the upcoming series Star Wars The Acolyte. The Sith-focused Disney Plus series The Acolyte has added a couple stars according to Deadline. Lee Jung-jae, the lead actor of the breakout Korean series on Netflix Squid Game, has been casted along with Queen and Slim star Jodie Turner-Smith. While I'm not familiar with Jodie Turner-Smith's work at all, um, Lee Jung-jae was phenomenal in Squid Game. So, I mean, this is definitely a huge get for Star Wars. Christian, do we know when this series is supposed to be coming out? Uh, right now, there's not an official release date. Uh, it's supposed to supposedly come out sometime between 2023 and early 2024. It's interesting because this is supposed to take place at the end of the High Republic storyline, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that's going to spoil anything, because I like my daughter's reading those books right now, so she would sure be upset. <laughs> If this somehow ruins like the end of those books, because right now there's a plethora of books and comics just being pumped out by Disney and she's really into it. Uh, so eventually I'll probably use her as a source of information <laughs> to try to, you know, get this whole story straight. So I'm kind of wondering, like, are all those stories, those books leading up to this series? Like, is this the end game? I mean, it all depends on how they're, you know, structuring those releases. But either way, I'm foaming at the mouth at the idea of a, you know, Sith focused show and either way. Because right now in that time period and in, in all the books that she's reading, the Sith aren't involved no, at yeah. all from what I know. So it's kind of cool to think that they've been doing this legwork this entire time leading up to this show. If that is indeed, you know, what, what the whole master plan was from the get-go. And now Amazing Nerd Show reacts to Lord of the Rings. The Rings of Power premiere. Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Rings of Power season one ahead. You have been warned. We thought the war at last was ended. Today, our days of peace begin. We thought our joys would be unending. We thought our light would never dim. The skies are strange.
wasn't quite sure what to expect coming into, you know, the first two episodes of the Lord of the Rings prequel, but what I got genuinely impressed me and entertained me as I strapped down for two hours of Middle Earth action. One of the main things touted about this series and been repeated over and over again is just how much, you know, money Amazon spent on it. And while we hear this a lot these days, you know, this was the most expensive this in shows, this was the most, ex this was the most expensive, you know, this in a movie. For once, you could really tell just how expensive it must have been to make something like this. There was incredible visuals with great CGI, all at full force here with director J.A. Bayana, you know, capturing performances that were, for me, at least easy to sink into. Um, and while I will say there were a couple moments here and there that felt like I was looking at a video game cutscene in the latest Unreal Engine, I was never taken out by the CGI use. You know, as a fan of Peter Jackson's work, um, just on how immersive the Lord of the Rings trilogy was, I felt like there was enough at least so far from the visuals that gave me a similar feel as that trilogy. But where it differs is definitely in how you know, much extra polish there are on, especially with the characters and how they look in the show. When I look at the elves, there's definitely feels like there's like a layer of just pure effects on top of them. You know, there's definitely more grit in the Peter Jackson films, but I imagine if those were you know made today, it might actually end up looking very similar to what we're getting here. As far as performances go, I definitely feel like I got hooked by Gladriel's story as she's raging essentially to avenge her brother's death at the hands of Sauron, who has gone missing in this world. But Galadriel refuses to give up on her chase. Morfred Clark, who I didn't even realize was the same, you know, actress from, you know, Saint Maud, seems to be a well-casted pick here. And I'm very interested to see where her story goes. And this is the same for, you know, Robert Aramaro, I think I'm saying that right, as Elrond, as he had a very fun story with the dwarves. I'm not into the Harfoot storyline just yet, and Arondir and his, you know, forbidden love story didn't do much for me, but those just felt more like introductions to who will be a part of Gladriel's party down the road. This very much feels like, you know, it's her show for the most part. My general impressions is that I see a lot of potential from these first two episodes. My main fear going into this was just, you know, it was all going to be spectacle and not much heart to this story. There was a, such an emphasis from those trailers and stuff about how expensive things were gonna look and feel, but nothing was ever, but we never really got a good sense of what the story was going to be. But now that it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, and with strong performances really driving this story along, I can easily say I'd recommend checking out this show for yourself and see if you're interested in it, because I'm not gonna lie, I think I was a little bit more hooked by this show, at least this week, than I was by, you know, the start of House of the Dragon. But we will see how I feel by the end of this when I give my full review of the series. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's break down episode four of She-Hulk. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for She-Hulk ahead. You have been warned. Um, could you state your name for the record? Madison King. Madison is with two N's. One Y, but it's not where you think. In this week's episode, we start off with a lovely magic show being performed by Donnie Blaze, who is doing very little to impress the audience. I mean, in a world where magic beings and aliens invade and fight on Earth, it's probably been you know hard on all the Chris Angels out there trying to make a living performing illusions and magic tricks. Well, Donnie Blaze has an ace up his sleeve as he pulls out a sling ring and teleports a drunk audience member named Madison to a realm of goblins or so we believe yeah you could tell it's been rough because this was a desperate move just yeah. trying to get a reaction from the audience because you're right like you would figure that magicians would be pretty much out of work 
now that, you know, we know that there's an actual Sorcerer Supreme out there. Yeah. And we've seen him, like, you know, fighting giant squid monsters and opening portals and shit. So you would just think that there'd be some kind of, like, enchantment, like, put on these sling rings so they couldn't fall into the wrong hands. I'm also pretty sure there's, like, ways to strip people of their magic power and or, like, you know, bind them so they can't use spells in this Has world. that been established? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like I, I said, I mean, we're playing with magic, so uh-huh. all, all rules are off the table. <laughs> I mean, th- those become rules once they make them rules, right? Uh-huh. So, I mean, we just found out in Thor Love and Thunder that Thor can just pass on his powers to other people, which yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of, but whatever. You would think that would mean Thor would be like, you know, supercharging the Avengers every time they're about to go into battle. Absolutely. We then head to Carmitage, where Wong is binge-watching The Sopranos, and suddenly a portal opens up and Madison comes swooping down in front of the show. Apparently she traveled to not only a goblin realm, but also a place like Hell, where she made a deal with a goat giving them six drops of blood before ending up here in Wong's living space, only to spoil the episode of The Sopranos he was watching. And in Wong's anguish, he seems to know exactly who is responsible for Madison's travels. Now this old goat story sounds rather familiar and I I hate to say it I mean it sounds like Mephisto uh-huh. but I just can't imagine them introducing Mephisto in this fashion unless it's some kind of like tongue-in-cheek end credit scene at the end of this you know series right now I'm saying it's you know they're just trying to fuck with all the viewers because of everyone freaking yes. out back with Mephisto but what if it's like reverse psychology what if like at the end of the show by the end and Mephisto actually appears. <laughs> and I was kind of expecting like the entire time that Jen would eventually break the fourth wall and, you know, allude to that ongoing joke. Uh, but she did it. So I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of, you know, credence to it. I, who knows? Maybe. I'm not falling for the bait this time, you know, and expecting <laughs> Mephisto every episode. I, I refuse to. Getting to our star of the show, Jennifer elates in Wong's return to the series while doing another fourth wall break. Then in comes her dad with a shovel in hand, concerned about the recent attacks on his daughter. But Jen doesn't seem the least bit worried at all. Yeah, we haven't really seen much of Jen's family since they initially like introduced them in like the second episode. So I'm wondering if they're going to end up playing a bigger role in the series or if they're just going to be kind of like side characters that pop up once in a while. I'm still leaning on them just being side characters right now. But I did love that her dad is just prepared to like bury someone for her. (laughs) That's what being a parent is, man. You got to be ready to dig some holes. At the office, Jen finishes her dating profile on Matcher before Wong appears with a legal matter for her to help with. It seems Wong is interested in getting a cease and desist on Johnny Blaze to stop using the mystic arts during his magic shows and ultimately set a legal precedent that no one outside of Carmitage or Unlicensed can use the mystic arts. So Wong here is single-handedly trying to start his own like sorcerer superhuman registration act? I guess so. Pretty much. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, we just know whose side he would have been on during Civil War. Still needs to answer for helping a prisoner escape. (laughs) That is true. Yeah, and it's not like they don't know where he lives. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But speaking of which, I was really hoping that this series would give us some answers when it comes to where, like, the MCU is right now with the Sokovia Accords. Especially since we're dealing with, you know, superhumans breaking the law. Like, that's the whole gist of the show. 
uh, but that hasn't been mentioned yet, really. I could see that coming up closer to when maybe when we see Daredevil, you know, probably get them involved. But I, I don't know. But you think, especially in this episode, where you're dealing with someone with powers, you know, misusing them, that it would be addressed. So that makes me feel like they're just kind of like tiptoeing around that. Yeah, I don't really understand the judicial system in Marvel at this point, especially when like Titania uh, is just loosely mentioned in the background, you know, getting off on all charges. And I'm like, how? She ran away from police and broke through like <laughs> courtrooms. And I mean, with the comedic nature of the show, you gotta have to take all those moments with a grain of salt. I would just really like some kind of update, you know, after seeing what happened and went down during Miss Marvel with damage control, like arresting people without any kind of due process whatsoever. Like, you know, I mean, a lot of time has passed since Civil War, you know, in the MCU after the blip and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, is all that off the table now? Like, were the accords, like, thrown out due to Thanos? I mean, I feel like this all could be resolved in, like, a passing line, honestly. <laughs> it just feels like the government has a lot of trust in damage control, you know, since they have their own prison right now for, you know, superpowered beings. Uh, but what does that look like? You know, like to what extent can they actually like operate? Because we literally saw damage control send a drone after a teenager firing missiles into a fucking building. And I know that was like an agent going rogue basically, but I don't know. You would think something like that would just shut the whole program down. My guess is like this just isn't the show that they want to kind of address that in, the, you know, and maybe we'll get more information in a series like Secret Invasion. At Jen's favorite bar, Nikki and Jen finish up Wong's cease and desist order, then dive right into dating talk where Nikki is hard on Jen's choice to use herself rather than her She-Hulk persona on their dating app. Jen, however, is still resistant against being She-Hulk in anything other than her work life. However, the matches she's getting you know, proved to be less than desirable, especially when she goes on a date to a bar with a guy who couldn't care less to be there with Jen. Meanwhile, in the more legal adventures of She-Hulk, Jen and Wong serve their cease and desist to Donnie Blaze, who kind of laughs in their face at the idea that they can stop him from using the mystic arts. And when we get to court, it seems to be a difficult case for Jen and Wong to prove. Using, you know, endangerment of audience members as their main reason, they bring everyone's favorite party girl, Madison, onto the stand, who while telling the truth about what happened to her is still very much drunk and doing a poor job at really making what happened sound like it actually endangered her. And even with a foreboding, you know, plea from Wong, the judge still claims she needs, you know, time to deliberate and ends up still giving Blaze the ability to continue practicing the mystic arts while he does his shows. Well, it's good to see that the judicial system is inept in the Marvel Universe, just like in the real world. <laughs> I mean, he's literally showing, you know, his own misuse of power in court. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love his assistant, by the way. Oh, yeah. I hope it comes out that like he's actually like a super powerful like sorcerer or something. Damon, that's Mephisto right there. That let's start that rumor. <laughs> I'd be all for that. Outside of the trial, you know, Nikki is still pushing Jen to have a social life, and Jen, being fed up with you know how little matches she's getting as herself, decides to hook up and post a new profile to match her, which of course gets a ton of attention. But for the most part, it seems like it's superhero fans wanting to spend some time with her, as we see from a montage of dates she goes on. Though one of them is asking a lot about you know potential weaknesses, which made me think he might be part of the wrecking crew in some form or fashion. Either
either way, she does finally find a guy who shows genuine interest in her and Jen decides to take him home. Either that or just a giant fanboy. I, I, yeah, you know, I see likely. where I see where you're coming from, though. I got that vibe, too. Um, but I don't know if that was supposed to be like a red herring or like he's like a lab assistant for the leader, or, you know, whoever, you know, the big boss is. It was a little weird because you would think that Jen is pretty famous at this point. So you think just her regular profile would attract plenty of interest. But, you know, whatever. They just want the green. All right. Yeah. But, you know, that's part of the package. So, I mean, whatever. I, I don't know. <laughs> We're nitpicking. But while Jen is, you know, busy dating, Donnie is doing his thing once more on stage using portals to try and dazzle the crowd. But when some of the audience members who had been at his last show call him out for doing the same tricks, he decides to pull a bird out of another dimension who drops what seems to be a demon egg down that immediately hatches a demon beast of some sort. And when Donnie opens another portal to try and send this demon back, a ton more baby demons swarm the audience, which the magician in over his head gets Wong to come help. I thought this scene was pretty hilarious. Uh, and I feel like the series was in the need of like another, you know, action set piece, uh, you know, especially in this episode, which is kind of, I don't know, it kind of felt like filler, you know, to yeah. be honest. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like a nothing happening episode. It just felt like this story could have just been a subplot in an episode, you know, not the main focal point. So I was totally fine with them, like spicing it up with some you know, flying baby demons. Jen at home now coming on to her date starts getting phone call after phone call and eventually a portal just opens up in her living room showing her the disaster going on at Donnie's show. Wong forcing her to come help out brings the two of them to a battle with these demons who are rapidly growing. But eventually they round up all of them and send all the demons home and use just one last demon to intimidate Donnie into agreeing to their cease and desist terms. Sure, I, I don't know why they would trust him. Uh, you would think that, you know, Wongers would make him hand over his sling ring, but whatever. I mean, maybe I they happen not. off camera. I don't know. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope that this would like inspire the guy to like go and fully train in the mystic arts. So he's more prepared, but I guess, didn't he get kicked out though? Didn't they say like, he yeah, was because he kept bringing frat people to. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Wong wouldn't want him to I continue, guess. <laughs> you know, down the sorcerer's path. Jen returns home in demon blood, but still takes her date to bed. Unfortunately, the next morning, though, he sees Jen in her human form and seems to be immediately turned off by her, dipping as fast as he can. And as our episode comes to a close, Jen gets a cease and desist of her own to stop using the She-Hulk name, thanks to Titania trademarking it for herself. Well, yeah, that guy's a total douchebag, right? Um, but yeah. back to what I was saying about this episode feeling like filler, even like this cliffhanger was kind of lame, right? Yeah, like even the way she's like, oh, it's a bummer that the episode's ending like this, but here we go. Yeah, and even though I enjoyed the mid credit scene um, and I want to try Yak's milk now, um, <laughs> I, it wasn't enough to save this episode. Um, and mm. it was, and that, that being said, like this wasn't a bad episode per se. It just didn't do anything to really like further Jen's story, it felt like. I mean, there was no follow-up with the Wrecking Crew or who they could be possibly working for. And we also didn't get any like moments with Abomination and like checking in to see, you know, where his story is headed. So, I mean, I was definitely a little disappointed at the end of the day. As the kids say, it wasn't good, it wasn't bad, it was mid, you know? Sure, sure, MJ. This series <laughs> has a higher episode count 
but still each episode's only like 30 minutes if that long mm-hmm. so <laughs> i was just expecting a little tidbit to carry me you know on to next week uh, but you know that but like you said like it wasn't a bad episode like it was just okay it's the kind of episode if you were like binging you wouldn't think you know twice about exactly like it goes back to what i was saying when we first started these i was like this feels like it'll be better as a binge it's fine you know i, I get it it's it's a shorter form but i didn't expect this one to be so filler you know yeah. I, I was expecting at least one bit of through line you know to the next episode yeah just like a few more bright to keep that intrigue going, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode five of She-Hulk. Do you think Daredevil's showing up? Um, I, mean, we know, I mean, we know he's showing up, but do you think he shows up next episode? I don't know. Because supposedly he has a three-episode arc. Oh, okay. So, uh, I mean, my guess is we'll see him in the courtroom first, uh, but who knows? Any chance he was the one that got Titania off? I can't imagine Matt Murdock accepting that kind of case. So I hope not. Everyone needs money every once in a while. I know he's got an uncorruptible soul, but <laughs> yeah. And it just feels like as like a big time social media influencer, she would mm-hmm. probably hire like some, you know, big Hollywood lawyer, you know, not, you know, a lawyer operating out of Hell's Kitchen. So <laughs> I think it's more likely he'd be representing someone like Frogman or leapfrog whatever version of that character we're saying i think leapfrog is frogman's father so i don't know i don't know which version we're getting here it's just a dude in a frog suit regardless <laughs> that sounds more like a case for matt murdoch and hopefully the case starts soon warning spoiler alert major spoilers for house of the dragon ahead you have been warned brother i have ordered 10 ships and 2,000 men to set sail from king's landing to join the effort in the stepstones Though time and circumstance have seen us estranged, know that it is not my desire to see you fail in your cause. It is instead my hope that this aid will deliver the victory that has thus far evaded us. I shall pray nightly to the gods for your safe return. Game of Thrones House of the Dragon has been delivering for a lot of fans, and while this week's episode had a lot of good moments for Viserys and Rhaenyra, the battle between Daemon and the Crab Feeder fell incredibly flat for me. But to start on the positives, this week's episode pushed ahead, you know, three years. Uh, Viserys and his new queen, Alicent, already have had a son and have another one on the way, as we join them for their first son's second names day. I feel the writers did a great job of filling us in with, you know, context rather than overdoing it with exposition to, you know, how we got here. Uh, the time jump was not as jarring as I thought it was going Going to be, especially for getting the biggest jump we've had so far. Viserys throughout this episode is dealing with, you know, the concepts of prophecy as we learned previously that he had a dream for years he'd have a son to become his heir. You know, a goal he was so focused on that he even let his beloved wife die to, you know, birth a son. But with all that falling apart and, you know, making Rhaenyra his actual heir, he let all of that go. But now that he's had a son with Alicent, he's pretty much, you know, questioning everything. And again is being pressured by just about everyone to name his son his heir. Constantine again just is delivering every single episode with these awesome performances. 
as we can feel just how much all of this is weighing on his character and watch as you know the choices he's made affect Rhaenyra, who instead of growing closer you know with after her mother's passing has burned all bridges with her father however the conflict between Rhaenyra and Viserys is settled quite well after they have a talk about you know how the choices he's making is you know affecting her life and everyone around him it was great to see how Viserys could grasp you know the irrationality of his behavior while pushing Rhaenyra to you know follow the way of the world which is just not what he has been doing at all throughout this show it was a powerful moment and a great scene seeing them finally come together in some way and the juxtaposition of you know the names day hunt along with you know Rhaenyra coming across the white heart was all just these nice subtle touches that they did for the episode but on the flip side of all that is the conflict between Damon and the crab feeder that apparently waged on for three years the show just asked too much of me to suspend disbelief when it came to this war for three years the crab feeder had been using a cave entrance in a in this like half circle cliffside with archers around you know the rim of it apparently keeping Damon and his dragon at bay. I know that this was supposed to be, you know, this great moment for Damon, especially after getting, you know, the letter from Viserys saying, we'll get, you know, we'll send you aid because you're failing out there. And that's what pushes Damon to, you know, go out there and pull this like suicide mission. But it was all just so nonsensical, especially compared to like most of the battles that we have witnessed in Game of Thrones history. I mean, first you're telling me that these archers are just so good that they can nail Damon on Dragonback, you know, so much so that it's preventing him from being able to just use Dracarys on the archers. And then, you know, a scene later, he's just running through a field and not a single archer can hit him. I was at a loss for words because while I knew what they were trying to show and how cool of a moment on paper it may have sounded, but the scene is just absolutely insane in the wrong way. There's absolutely no way a dragon couldn't have just wiped out those archers. And there's no way that Damon could have gotten through that field without going down. And I guess he does get hit with arrows in the end. But the, the distance he cleared is absolutely crazy. And honestly, there were ways to write around this to make it make sense. You know, we could have got a moment with the crab fear who hasn't had a single line in the show. You know, they really gave him the Boba Fett treatment at that point. If the crab feeder had maybe, you know, kidnapped and held one of the Valerian sons or family member in the cave, it would explain away their need to be, you know, cautious in their attack and not have, you know, a dragon obliterate everything, which it could have easily done from the get go, you know, which is something that was established by the show already. And this would have also given our villain a great character moment at least, but instead I got a poorly written battle with a villain no one is going to remember in five years. It was just, you know, bad enough to make me worried about the battles yet to come. And that's why I'm being a little harsh on it. I guess because in every other aspect of the show, I've been incredibly enjoyable. But this fight was, you know, the first big bad moment for me at least. But this fight was supposed to be the first like big one that they showed off and it just, didn't work for me at all. But you know what? I'm still going to tune in next week because I am very much invested in these characters and this story. But you let me know if I'm just being too hard on it. Let me know how you felt about the show at Amazing Nerd Show and join us next week for more Game of Thrones talk. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. 
it's a fact that you'll have the best kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac. So save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NerdShow for 20% off plus free shipping at Manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high oh, and tight. Yeah. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, CD Projekt Red had announcements for Cyberpunk 2077. Not only did they give us some you know, details about the now launched Edge Runners patch 1.6, but they showed off the first and probably only expansion coming to Night City. Cyberpunk 2077 is getting Phantom Liberty, a spy thriller expansion set in a completely new district in Night City for next gen which is only for next-gen players. It seems all future updates plus content will focus on Xbox Series X, PC, and PS5 due to last-gen consoles, you know, limitations, which honestly is how the game probably should have released in the end, but you know, money. Thanks to leaks, a lot of the details for this expansion are actually out there if you really want to find them, but I won't spoil things for you right here. I'll just touch on things here and there, like, like we know based on the trailer, Keanu Reeves is back to voice Johnny Silverhand, but there was no glimpse of him in the trailer. Instead, we saw a glitched out character near the end of the trailer that may be a sort of replacement for Johnny named Songbird. We also get a glimpse of the president of the new United States of America, Rosalind Myers, who we can hear talking and making V recite, you know, a pledge for the NUSA. I'm assuming we'll be, you know, directly answering to Rosalind as we conduct missions for her in this new district. You know, the trailer also showed off new baddies and some, you know, small glimpses of the actual district itself. I'm just interested in seeing more of it, and I'm sure there'll be more of a deep dive when we get closer to it in 2023. On top of that, there was a 1.6 patch that included some tie-ins to, you know, the anime that's coming out, uh, Edge Runners, with secret items from the show that will be findable in the game, which I think are kind of a cool aspect and a cool feature. You know, when they claim that when something is dropped 
in the actual show, you might be able to find it in the game. And I thought that was pretty cool. But on top of new weapons and new items, you'll also be able to play Roach Race at arcades. But the biggest part of this update would have to be, you know, the inclusion of official mod support. With some modders having actually been hired by the company, some actual official mod tools have been rolled out and could be the start of great things for the PC side of Cyberpunk 2077. Though it has been stated, you know, creating quest lines and such are still far from possible, the red mod tool will, you know, lead to new animation integrations and more in the near future. So while CD Projekt Red may move on from Cyberpunk after, you know, Phantom Liberty, modders will still have a chance to improve and keep the game alive on PC. So I have to ask, are any of these updates I've talked about so far, you know, enough for you to try Cyberpunk 2077 next year? I recently tried to start another playthrough on Twitch, but I left it, you know, to the wayside after I got a PS5 and I wanted to start playing some more Sony games and stuff like that and more stuff that are coming out soon. After these trailers, I have to say I'm I'm interested. It's you know it's piqued my interest in coming back to that world and maybe I will do that either before or after when this expansion comes out. But right now, I'm too busy trying to complete like the Horizon Zero Dawn series and other games before God of War Ragnarok comes out. Uh, like Metal Hellsinger comes out next week and I'm dying to get my hands on that game as well. So we'll see what happens. On top of that, I may be switching up my schedule soon. So make sure to check out at Amazing Nerd Live for other updates going on with the Twitch side of things. You can check out the actual show though every single weekend. But all right, for now, let's move on to wrestling. The AEW World Championship represents taking the dark and ugly side of this business and letting it die with another generation. The World Championship represents the freedom to be as great as you are willing to dare to be. The AEW World Championship means being better than I was the day before. Even if it's just a little bit better, even if nobody notices but me, that world championship represents slaying demons. That world championship represents everything I love about this business. Well, uh, so we had plans, of course, to come here and review the all-out pay-per-view this week. But unfortunately, at this point, it feels like it took place about a decade ago, uh, because afterwards at the AEW Media Scrum, uh, CM Punk decided to air out his dirty laundry, hijacking the press conference to smear, you know, former friend Cole Cabana, uh, who wasn't even there, by the way, and just kind of shit all over the company and the EVPs who made it happen uh, in this like awe-inspiring display of selfishness. Uh, he took the spotlight off the men and women who, you know, busted their ass the last couple months to build up and put on a pretty damn good wrestling card. Uh, and he essentially, too, buried Tony Khan, making him look inept uh, as he just kind of sat there. And yeah, I mean, in hindsight, Tony could have tried to do something to stop it, mm -hmm. but... In fairness, he was probably in shock, uh, <laughs> as his facial expressions would tell you. Uh, but also, like, he did a great job of really making the company feel second rate by, like, belittling wrestlers like Adam Page, saying, like, what's he ever done? Uh, and in turn, like, making it sound like he was solely responsible for their first million dollar gate and he knows what's best for business and hangman was potentially risking it all by his off the cuff you know uh comment 
Uh, I mean, in his mind, this somehow was a receipt once again for Hangman going off script in their build to their pay-per-view match by cryptically mentioning the cold situation, uh, a comment that really didn't register with many people, honestly. Yeah. Um, us included, because we were kind of like, oh, they're just kind of carrying on the storyline that Eddie Kingston brought up with Punk being, you know, cancer in the locker room. And even though he got his eye for an eye weeks earlier in his comeback promo, you know, with Paige, that apparently wasn't enough. He really just wanted to burn everything down around him like a petulant child. He all of a sudden out of nowhere started blaming the elite. Um, you know, I mean, he he referred to them as the EVPs uh, who couldn't even manage a target. He was basically saying that they were the ones leaking the rumor that he got Colt fired, which, according to numerous sources in the know, uh, is far from the truth. I mean, this was a spectacle like in this five minutes, he did more damage to AEW than Vince and Hunter did when they put like NXT like up against it during AEW's first like year of existence. Like CM Punk is an amazing wrestler, but this was a sad and embarrassing display that alone in my mind warranted at least a suspension from the company. But Christian, we were done there. <laughs> <laughs> Because during Punk's meltdown, he kept on mentioning that if someone, like, has a problem with him, they could come see him in his locker room. Well, the elite took him up on that, unfortunately. <laughs> because later on, during the press conference, they went into his locker room and confronted him, and this resulted in reportedly a melee, where it took, by all accounts, at least six minutes to break it up. Um, allegedly Punk threw the first punch, and that sounds like it's being confirmed by both sides. Uh, Punk is saying that he felt threatened, so that's why he did it. Uh, there are these crazy rumors that the elites also forced their way into the room, kicking down a door, which just sounds absolutely ridiculous because these are giant steel doors. So, I mean, and this is all allegedly, of course. Uh, but yeah, but something both sides seem to agree with is that Ace tried to eat Kenny Omega. Um, <laughs> so allegedly he's a psychopath. <laughs> um, his excuse was that his wife was in the room with a broken foot. Uh, so instead of like trying to guide her out of the room, though, he decided that it would be a good idea to throw a chair at someone's head, which the rumor is that it ended up knocking out Nick Jackson. But then after that, Steele started fighting like a preschooler, biting and pulling hair. Um, just not a good look all around. Because even nope. with how in the wrong Punk was, um, as EVPs, you can't march into someone's locker room and confront them like that so um you know it's just all unfortunate i mean there's multiple stories exactly what took place and i'm sure at this point everyone's heard them on the internet but mm -hmm. the end results is that everyone involved is at least suspended at this point even those who were there trying to break it up uh we had people like christopher daniels brandon cutler uh, Pat Buck, you know, all suspended. Um, 
And of course, the elites, Punk and Steel. But I'm guessing that's just pending an investigation to exactly what went down. Uh, and it's an investigation that's being done by a third party. So that's good news, at least. Uh, because, I mean, there could be legal issues. There could be lawsuits involved. So they really have to, like, you know, dot their I's and cross their T's when it comes to all this. Like I said, I mean, the elite, they're EVPs. So it's definitely a bad look and you wish that cooler heads would have prevailed. But also, I totally understand why they would be incensed after witnessing that press conference. So um, it just really puts the company in an awkward position, like having higher ups in a brawl <laughs> in the locker room. So uh, it's also come out that like during Punk's match with Moxley, he actually tore his triceps uh, and he's going to have to go back on the shelf for at least eight months. Uh, and what kills me is he actually knew this before the fucking press conference, supposedly. So regardless of all his like bravado, you know, and, you know, tough guy talk. He's literally like starting this fire and then running away, knowing that he's not going to be there for fucking eight months. Right. Mm hmm. You know, I mean, if it is true that, you know, he found out about the injury prior to the press conference, which by all accounts, that seems to be the case, uh, which makes it even more ridiculous. And I don't know if knowing that he was injured played into his behavior at the press conference but I just feel like he's acting like John Wayne, knowing that, you know, no one's going to see him like that. He was going to be ghosting for months. So I don't know about you, but like as a big fan of AEW, there was just this like dark cloud of doom hanging over my head leading up to Dynamite. Because optics wise, this is definitely one of the biggest like crisis they've ever had to, you know, deal with that could possibly cause long term damage to the company. Yeah, and it couldn't have come at a worse time. I mean, they're right before a deal that they're supposed to be making with Warner Brothers Discovery. Yes. It's, I, I don't know. You have all your top stars. And I, I think at this point, if I was Tony Khan, I would start to think I'm jinxing the company by writing these tweets about how we're going to have the greatest roster of all time coming out of All Out. You know, it's it it's just seems to be every time we either get injuries or something like this is going to come down, you know? Here's the thing, like once there's obvious issues between your talent, you need to get out ahead of them and squash yes. them, you know, especially when it's amongst big stars like the elite and like the and like punk, like that's just management 101. And you know that punk is a bit of a loose cannon. And after he's already shown you that he's willing to go into business himself um, in a promo, his comeback promo, mind you, yes. before the pay-per-view, like that's when you sit everyone down, all parties down and try to hash things out. I mean, there's been fights in wrestling locker rooms since the beginning of professional wrestling. And there's been tons of real life drama and backstage tension that then turned into, you know, wrestling storylines and have made, you know, huge money in turn for, you know, wrestling companies. You know, throughout the years. Yeah. But uh, it, just look at what they're doing with MJF right now, you know, it, with his stuff. Or, I mean, Edge and Matt Hardy. I mean, yes. uh, Sean and Brett, obviously. Uh, <laughs> we got the Mr. Man character from that very real life, you know, situation. So, I mean, 
it's been done in the past and can and will be done in the future. But at the same time, the one thing you can't do as management is nothing. Like You can't let these bad feelings fester because then you have a situation like what happened this past weekend. Um, and with wrestling being underneath the microscope like it is nowadays with social media and so many different websites reporting it, I mean, wrestling is as exposed as it's ever been. And with them about to negotiate another TV deal, which is going to really dictate the future of the company, you can't give Warner Brothers Discovery this kind of ammunition you know, to come to the table with. Because they're looking for excuses nowadays. <laughs> no, I mean, we're seeing that on the DC side of things. So they're not scared uh-huh. to cut bait if they have to. <laughs> the wrestling world operates in a bubble, and there might be a chance that Warner Brothers Discovery thinks this is all another wrestling storyline. But at the same time, it's just not worth the risk, mm-hmm. especially since it shines such a negative spotlight on Tony Khan and his you know, management style. I mean, the fact that, you know, this even happened and like he sat there and he didn't like stop it from escalating. It's just such a bad. Now, with that being said, I did feel like they did a great job of responding to everything with a pretty stellar episode of Dynamite. I thought it was the first step in writing the ship, if you will. Um, they stripped the elite of the trio's titles. They stripped Punk of the world title, um, which was going to have to happen anyway mm-hmm. since he's injured. They did not address the situation directly, which is fine because they're in the middle of the investigation, so they really can't. And like I said, there are possible lawsuits and legal matters involved, so they it's probably best that they don't say anything. Yeah. Um. You know, even wrestlers in character shouldn't say anything you know maybe allude to it but that's all you could really go um in that direction we found out that they're going to hold a tournament for the world title which is going to end up culminating at uh arthur ash uh which is only two weeks away i forgot Mm. the name of the tournament they it's like something like the championship tournament or something like that it's featuring all like champion of champions like grand slam something like that (laughs) champion of champ sure uh whatever you know tony and his names but Uh. basically everyone in the tournament is a former world champion or a champion of significance in the past so uh, we have daniel bryan who you know obviously has never held a belt in AEW, but they made sure to mention that he is a six-time world champion uh you know we have sammy guevara who I think is the only person who's held the TNT title three times at this point. Yes. Also have Darby Allen, who I think had the longest TNT title reign. Yes. But then we also have Hangman Page, who's a former world champion, Jericho, and Moxley. Uh, with Jericho and Moxley both getting a bye. Which storyline-wise, I think is fine. I mean, Moxley just lost the belt. And Jericho was just the number one contender recently. It's just funny when um, Hangman had lost the title. He didn't get a buy in any yes. tournament. He just wasn't a part of it. Shh. <laughs> I'm supposed to forget all that, Christian. Okay. Yeah. Yes, they yes. never gave us a storyline reason for that. I mean, basically, it was just because he was going up against Finlay, right? Uh-huh. It's like, oh, too bad I already have this match booked. It's like, what? And I'm not going to go on a tirade about that, but <laughs> you're right. Logically, it didn't make any sense. Um, 
But obviously, there's no way they could have foreseen you know, another yes. tournament happening this soon. I mean, part of me would have loved to see like a couple wild cards thrown into the mix, like maybe like Powerhouse Hobbs, since, you know, I think he's ranked like maybe one or two in the standings. Um, or even like Wardlow. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I understand they're not going to win the tournament and we don't want to necessarily hurt them um, right now in their momentum. But but I could also make the argument when it comes to powerhouse Hobbs that in losing, he could still get over. But like Wardlow, obviously, you don't want him eating a loss. You know, that that's kind of not the gimmick right now, right? And I don't think right now is the right time to put the belt on him. So, mm. you know, especially since he's been really struggling to get back on track since, you know, uh, double or nothing. But with, you know, people like Punk and uh, Kenny and the Young Bucks off television, I hope that they do, you know, shift their focus to these younger stars that they're trying to build up. And like Wardlow getting to see him this week having his match and you know going on his tirade afterward about you know i'm, I'm refocusing i hope that they really do stick to that i hope that continues on no i agree 100 like i want to see wardlow every week destroying someone yeah until he gets into like another program like if he's not in a program he should still be out there destroying people like having him do like the power bomb symphony or whatever like i think that's paramount to that character right now to get him back to where he needs to be so i mean he can't be off camera for no you know less than a week so and that's been happening lately which i don't understand but another huge factor is you know mjf you know i mean He's someone that the company sorely missed over the last three months. Yes. So, I mean, starting off Dynamite with him, like after what, you know, we haven't talked about All Out, but I loved the angle that brought him back and everything. And since you've been like hurting yourself, you know, patting yourself on the back, you know, with your big Fantastic Four predictions for D23, I will, you know, mention that I did actually call this angle last week on the show. You know, not uh-huh. not when we're predicting that match per se, but later <laughs> on I bring it up. Uh, yes, so I, I was mean, applauding you while watching uh-huh, it, uh-huh. saying, "Yeah, Damon was correct, one hundred percent." I mean, I was literally just throwing shit against the wall, but whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved every second of it. You know, him coming out with the devil's mask on, him being aligned with Stokely's group. I mean, fuck, the Rolling Stones' sympathy for the devil playing. I mean, I don't even want to think about how much money Khan <laughs> paid for that song playing uh-huh. for 30 seconds during his pay-per-view. Um, but, I mean, I thought it was all worth it. It was a great presentation, right? And, like, and the Chicago crowd was just so into the reveal at the end. And it was just so well done, like, having him, like, with his back to the camera, taking off the mask. You know, the crowd popping a little and then he fucking puts the scarf on the back of his neck and and the crowd just losing their fucking minds. And mind you, they're in Chicago like this is CM Punk country. But that pay-per-view went off the air with them chanting MJF. So and I'm wondering if that got in CM Punk's crawl a little (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> he didn't have many kind words for mjf during the uh press conference either not one minute. so um and who knows how much of that was a work when it comes to mjf just because you know obviously that's where they were supposed to be leading mm-hmm. and having uh and like those media scrums like i enjoy them because they're 
basically an extension of what we used to get with like talking smack where they're this like weird mix like in character shoot um but i feel like after this they need to go back to the drawing board and kind of rethink things because there were a lot of awkward moments not just with the punk situation but like swerve to our glory are sitting up there and they're in character and trying to work an angle mind you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you've got like journalists asking them whether or not they think that Khan should have called an audible in the middle of their match. And it's like, well, how the fuck are they supposed to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> Which was, I, I don't know about you, but that was actually my favorite match of the night. So I love that fucking match. And it was all crowd response. And mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming whatsoever. I mean, if you listen to the show <laughs> last <laughs> week, we we're kind of like, Oh, well, this is a match for match sake. And, you know, I don't see the Acclaim winning here. You know, they, yeah, they're over. But, you know, I didn't think they were over to this extent. And I don't think anyone thought they were over to that extent. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people were kind of negative on Khan for booking that match that way. But I'll argue that no one saw that no. response coming from the Chicago crowd. Not um, at all. But I really got into the idea of a possible, like, heel version of Swerve and Our Glory. Yes. If they were to work it out, you know. I but. think most likely you're going to have Swerve turn heel, even mm. though Keith Lee was definitely, you know, showing heel tendencies in the match and everything, which I thought they did a great job if, you know, that was an audible that they called on the fly. We're like, OK, we're just going to work straight heel because the beginning of the match, the crowd was with them like they did get like a positive yeah. response. But there's a point where they roll out of the ring and then they come back in. I think Keith Lee offers his hand to Max Caster. And then punches them in the face. And that just completely turned the crowd. Um, So I feel like that was something that they just kind of called on the fly. But I could be wrong. But I feel like Swerve, like, being more heelish in this match was definitely in the cards all along. Um, But yeah, no. But anyway, like, that match is going to end up happening in Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, I don't know if that was originally the plan. It feels like that was a direct response to seeing how over they were in Chicago. Like, oh, we've got to get the titles on these guys uh-huh. now. But that's fine, because I feel like at that point, you know, Swerve to Our Glory, even though I love them as a tag team, storyline-wise, and we kind of saw this during the press conference, they started to play up that tension a lot more between the two of them. So it feels like it's time to break them up and have them go into their feud. So and I'm fine with that because I feel like that feud's going to be amazing also. And again, both these guys as singles competitors are going to be up there. You know, oh, absolutely. At least upper middle card or top. I love Swerve, man. Yeah. You know, I like I, I thought he was OK in WWE, um, but I wasn't watching NXT a lot. But like what I'm seeing here, he's so unique as a wrestler and everything. And he's pulling things off in the ring that I've never seen before, which this day and age is hard to do. Um you know, he's just a fun wrestler to watch. And I love the attitude that he's carried with him since day one of entering the company. So I feel like this is the natural progression for that character. And Keith Lee, we both know, is just a superstar, you know, and yes. should be in the main event picture sooner than later. Also, I I can't wait to hear New York's response to the acclaim actually winning you know, the titles, like if like Chicago was that excited for the acclaim, like, what do you think New York's reaction is going to be with, you know, especially since both guys come from New York? No, it's going to be uh, highlighted for the rest of AEW. <laughs> I tell you what. By the way, back to MJF, um, I thought it was brilliant to kind of start the show off with him. 
I feel like after a couple days of turmoil as an AEW fan, like it gave me like almost a sense of like normalcy, like seeing, you know, MJF back in action, doing mm-hmm. only what he can do. Um, I almost, and this might be me reading into things. Do you feel like he was kind of spoofing CM Punk? Here. Oh no, no, he was a hundred percent. Like That's him how I saw coming it. out and like playing like the ultimate babyface uh-huh. and like doing it up, and then like mean, even the fact he drops to his knees and does the whole arms out. I thought yeah, that was completely he do- what he was trying to do. Yeah, but he does. I mean, he does that. Like that's one of his like mannerisms. But yes, like but- the way that he was playing such a over the top babyface, and then like, but he made sure to make the you know the fat you know boy comment. Like, you know, during like, you know, in the middle of his promo and everything, uh-huh. but then like kind of like pull back very similar to what Punk did, you know, the other week. And then to all of a sudden just switch gears once Moxley comes out and reveal himself as, you know, the ultimate heel, everything. It just really felt like there was a lot of subtext there of him throwing shade without necessarily name dropping Punk. And it also felt like Moxley was also doing a lot of subtext, you know, where, you know, there's a point where he mentions being embarrassed and he's talking about you know him losing the title but it also feels like he's talking about like the situation that just Mm -hmm. took place i mean all in all it was just really well done and went a long way to really like refocus the company yeah i really do hope it like sparked not only you know the fans but everyone in the back to do like something similar to really refocus on everything and just push forward from all this because it's been insane exactly exactly um you know, something Jericho keeps on reiterating is like, you don't know how good you have it here. You know, you don't uh-huh. understand. I mean, and even Punk to a certain extent, like in his press conference was saying, like to paraphrase, he was saying something like, you know, the grass always seems greener on the other side, but really the grass is only greener where you're watering it. Um, You know, talking about the locker room and to reiterate, like Punk could have had plenty of reasons to be pissed off. It just was the wrong time and place to air uh, all his fucking grievances. <laughs> it was just completely selfish to bury what everyone accomplished that night with the pay-per-view and make everything about himself. They also ended up announcing that the trios match that was already previously set up uh, between the best friends and Death Triangle was now going to be for the trios titles. Uh, which I have no problems with. I mean, those are two mm-hmm. teams that have been together since pretty much day one of AEW. So so I'm totally fine with that being, you know, a championship match. Um, I, was, I love the match. Yeah, no, I thought it was a great match. And yeah. I was really surprised, though, that Death Triangle went over here because I thought it was the best friend's time to shine. But that's fine, too. Um, you know, I'm excited that Pac now has two belts. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, like before this, you know, and before the pay-per-view, I was wondering like how long Death Triangle would keep on going. Like, is it time to break them up since, I don't know, they, they feel kind of like an afterthought. Um, but, you know, with everything that's going on, especially now with House of Black, and, you know, we found out that Malachi Black has been granted his release uh, from the company due to like personal issues. Uh, there's a need more than ever for, you know, strong trios teams. So, and I mean, AEW has plenty, but 
Death Triangle is one of the more established teams, so it, mm-hmm. it makes sense. I mean, it definitely sucks with the Black situation. He's a fantastic wrestler, you know, but we wish him all the best. Um, but speaking of House of Black, do you see that like group carrying on? Would you like to see someone else join them? Or do you want to see them just operating as a tag team? Um, I wouldn't mind if they operated as a tag team, but I, I think I think there's still space for them to put someone and maybe not in Malachi's place, but to replace him in general. Like they could definitely put uh, Brody King as leader going forward, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, maybe you don't have a leader. You know, maybe they just well, yeah. operate as equals. Mad dog group. Yeah, you know, that that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I just don't know who you would use in that spot right now like is there anyone spooky enough to be <laughs> in the house of black with a in aaw uh not currently or do we but... see like anyone with the potential to be spooky enough because <laughs> <laughs> i mean honestly like buddy murphy you wouldn't necessarily like no he yeah. wasn't the first guy i would have picked for the group but it, it works so it's gotta be someone that you know pulls off a black metal vibe, you know. <laughs> um, I will like to give like Julia Hart some praise. Like I've been watching Dark lately, and she's really like coming into her own, you know, especially with this new character and everything. Oh, good. So um, she's definitely like reaping the benefits of this, you know, storyline. So um, it's it's just nice to see because I mean, God knows that we we had a lot of questions after it just felt like you know you know this angle was going on and on and on for Mm. months but apparently part of the reason was that black was dealing with a lot of like back issues at the time too so Mm. that's why everything was kind of off and on you know with uh the house of black yeah i i I mean i hope for the best for him i i just hope this wasn't like you know i hope there wasn't any bs behind this i don't want to see him show up on like wwe in like two weeks or something like that i don't think that's the case at all like from all accounts like there's some serious like personal issues going on and i don't want to speculate on that but you know that's his business i just hope Mm -hmm. that he's okay and this is also a conditional release so there are a lot of things like put in place to kind of protect that from happening gotcha um you know, but I mean, I'm glad that they granted the release because, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, you know, we say all the time with WWE, like these are independent contractors. They should yes. have the right to walk away. So the same goes for black. Like if because if he doesn't want to be in the company anymore, he should be able to leave the company. You know, I mean, that only makes sense because, I mean, God knows the company could release him whenever they want. So, you know, it should be the same on the flip side. What about Darby Allen? If it was like Darby Allen as a heel character? Yeah. Absolutely. I could see it. It'd be interesting to see him working. What if he with turns Brody. on Sting? Turns on Sting and joins them? That'd I mean, be cool. And he's been singing Brody's praises like the last like, you know, month or so. See, I was almost going in a different direction. I was thinking, what if you put Miro in there and you I have no Miro have the Redeemer squad or some shit? I don't know. <laughs> It could possibly work, but I feel like Miro's better off on his own and everything. Uh-huh. And I don't want to see Miro with like makeup on and everything. As terrifying as that <laughs> well, would be. He doesn't be. have to do that. He can just wear black shorts. I it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> then he's half ass in it. I, I, you know, I want to see him completely committed. I want him to have the guy lighter and everything. <laughs> Darby's not a bad choice, though. Darby's I not want, a bad choice. I want Miro all emo. But yeah, I mean, Darby definitely feels like you know, a natural fit for the group. 
Oh. So, and I, I mean, I, and I feel like he needs something more at this point. You know, he's been like really just treading water as like, you know, Sting's buddy. Right. Exactly. I, I, it's a good way to have that turn finally happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Because I still think, too, that like Sting is going to retire, you know, eventually putting Darby over. Yes. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's like. You know the whole point of this run of his. So I also have to say, I know it was you know pre-recorded and stuff like that, but I think that was Jungle Boy's best delivery ever with his promo 100%. on this week's episode. I agree, a hundred percent. He, I mean, speaking of someone who's reaping the benefits of you know a storyline, his partnership with Christian has really like brought him out of yes. his like shell. I mean, we saw it before Christian's turn, like him, like improving in promos and everything like that. So, I mean, I love that jungle boy has been really willing to do the work and everything. Cause that was the one aspect of, you know, his arsenal that was really missing. And if you listen to interviews, like in the beginning of the company, he openly admitted to hating doing promos. So we're really seeing growth you know, from him as a talent. Also, once again, like, I think it means a lot, like him going more underneath his actual name and not just being yes. Jungle Boy anymore. Um, you know, now if we could just get that fucking loincloth off of him, you know, we'd be golden. <laughs> it was a little bit more like shorts loincloth-like this time around. I guess. I at guess. the pay-per-view. <laughs> I will say with the pay-per-view match, knowing now that you know, part of the reason things were done the way they were done was because Christian is injured. I kind of think it's ridiculous that they paid things off that way. Um, you know, with Luchasaurus's turn then and there, and then like Christian getting the win over Jungle Boy before going to have surgery because he's going to be out for months now. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I know like he can continue the storyline by you know feuding with uh, Luchasaurus. But at yeah. the same time, I don't think it helps Jungle Boy by having him take a loss to Christian here, especially since he can't get any kind of revenge on him for months, right? And then who knows, like, when he comes back, like, what storyline he could be in the middle of. So who knows when that receipt's going to come? Like, i much rather have had, like, Jungle Boy lose control, get disqualified, but, like, not care and, like, take out Christian and then have Luchasaurus take him out. You know, and have the turn happen right then and there. No, that would have been a good moment. Um, but now, I mean, you could technically set up a moment where he attacks Christian at the hospital. You know, <laughs> I guess. But we know he already stated in that promo that Christian's going to have oh, to yeah. have surgery. So yes. So like the least they could have done was get his character over a little more by mm. you know him being the reason behind the injury. No, but as you said, I, I got where they were going. By having him now feud with uh, Luchasaurus for a while. Yeah, and I think we both saw that coming a mile away. Mm. So, especially since him and Christian never touched. And it just felt like, you know, Luchasaurus's re-face turn or whatever the hell you want to call it <laughs> felt so abrupt. I was like, okay, uh-huh. you know, Christian's definitely planting some seeds here. I know we're supposed to be talking about Dynamite, but also with the pay-per-view, I was really surprised with Ricky Starks losing so quickly. And so definitively in his match against mm-hmm. Powerhouse Hobbs. And you could argue that Hobbs needed the win more than Ricky did. And I mean, this is probably just the start of their program together. But it was just such a definitive win. I would have liked to see the match go for at least another like five minutes. Um, and so, uh, uh, apparently 
they actually went short. They had more time. Oh, okay. Uh, reportedly, that also happened with the Jade match. They went under time. It feels weird to me. Like, hmm. usually, like, wrestlers MO yeah. is to, like, use all their time and then some if they can. <laughs> so going under, you know, they're allowed a time just feels weird. Well, like, as you said, with Ricky Starks getting beaten outright so quickly and not easily, but, you know, still pretty fast. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm ready to see Ricky Starks go back at Hobbs right away. Like, I, I think Ricky has to, like, you know. I don't think say something about it. Oh, you know? <laughs> I think I think we'll get a promo here and there. And I mean, that's where Ricky's really buttering his bread right now is with uh-huh. his promo skills. So, I mean, the commentators did a really good job of like selling Ricky's neck injury and everything like that mm-hmm. and setting that up kind of as the reason why Hobbs was able to go over him. And I mean, we had that whole fucking horrific angle with uh, the uh, factory the week before with them beating him down in the locker room and everything, which I still feel like there's a better way to go about that, but whatever. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't have a rematch at uh, Arthur Ashe or, you know, the upcoming pay-per-view. I feel like both guys are just main eventers waiting to happen. Oh, absolutely. And Hobbs is doing a great job getting that spine buster over, man. That spine on the pine, holy shit. There's, <laughs> there's some serious snaps of that. So mm-hmm. when it comes to the world title tournament, who do you have walking away as the champion at Arthur Ashe Stadium, Christian? I immediately thought, you know, oh, they'll just put it back on Moxley. But then I was like, hey, he's you know, he's already won it three times. They might want to put it on someone new. So my, my second pick was Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I mean, I agree like 100% like that first segment of the show with Moxley and MJF really felt like they were foreshadowing, you know, something mm-hmm. to come. Um, I could in MJF like came out right away, which I appreciate too, storyline wise mentioning that, you know, he didn't want to be part of this tournament because, you know, why would he like, yes. he works uh-huh. smart, not hard. <laughs> so I've got this like guaranteed title shot. So I'm going to sit back and wait, for the dust to settle. So I'm guaranteeing that, you know, his title shot will take place at, uh, is it full? It's full gear, right? I believe so. Okay. And after like Moxley's, you know, rah-rah speech, it just seems like he's the right guy to be carrying the torch right now. I mean, even though his like interim, you know, title reign was only a couple months long, it was pretty fucking epic. So <laughs> I, I'm fine with him, you know, being the torchbearer for the company mm-hmm. uh, from here out. But with that being said, it definitely wouldn't be a bad thing to have someone new carrying that title, right? Um, especially with how everything's going, you know, and wanting to kind of like reset the table. And Brian feels like the perfect guy to hold that belt. Oh, and I feel like MJF is going to win the title at full gear. 100%. So that's why, like, so going over someone like Danielson, I think would be a good, you know, option for MJF rather than doing Moxley right away. Yeah, and you could have Moxley end up being like MJF's first challenger if you want. Yeah. So, I mean, there's such a great contrast there between their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really nice about the way the tournament's set up, you know, knowing the spoilers from Rampage, um, it feels like we're really going to see uh, Brian's revenge tour, if you will. Where, you know, everyone that he's probably going to end up facing is someone that he's lost to in the past. This week, we saw him, you know, defeat Hangman, who I believe he lost 
twice to, right? Or it was a draw, and then, yeah, he lost the second mm-hmm. match, the rematch. Um, and then, you know, we've got Jericho, who he, he just recently lost to, and then Moxley, you know, who, you know, in losing, they ended up forming the Blackpool Combat Club together. Yes. Uh, so it, it's just kind of like perfect storytelling, and obviously that wasn't the plan. It just feels like the perfect wrinkle storytelling-wise, uh, you know, for Brian as a character. Um, and obviously that wasn't the plan coming out of All Out, but if that's the way the cards fall, that's the way the cards fall. So, um, yeah, I, either way, like, I would be happy with Moxley or, you know, Brian as champion. It it felt weird Jericho getting the win over Brian. Like, I did not see that coming at the pay-per-view. Um, and honestly, like, I felt the match was just so-so. You know, I, I wasn't, like, I was excited for the match. I don't know, something about it, it, I don't know, just didn't, like, click for me. It felt like a match I could see on, like, a WWE pay-per-view. And I, I, I just expect more. Like, it never felt like they hit that next gear, if you will. Gotcha. Um, like, it wasn't a bad match, don't get me wrong. It just didn't live up to my expectations. But who the fuck am I? <laughs> uh, but it felt like with Jericho winning, they're setting him up for something bigger. Because I don't know why else you'd have Jericho win that match. So, I mean... Could Jericho end up getting the title here? And you have a little bit of a chase, you know, with him and Moxley, um, you know, or him and Brian. I mean, it's possible. I mean, then then you can definitely have more matches with Brian and you continue whatever this, you know, Garcia feud is. Because there's still what, like two months in between now and the pay-per-view? Yeah. The pay-per-view is at the end of November. Mm -hmm. So it's almost three months. So you could have Jericho drop that belt, you know, somewhere in between, yeah, one somewhere of their in between, events. and then you don't have a heel versus heel situation at the uh-huh. pay per view with Jericho and you know MJF. You could have you know Brian or Moxley, you know, holding that title. Unless you want to turn Jericho face to go up against MJF and rekindle their feud. Mm. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I love that feud, but it just lasted forever. Uh-huh. So I mean that was, remember it was like over a year right like it was yes. a, a year long storyline. Another factor that we're not really considering is like Adam Cole. Um, Health wise, we haven't really gotten any kind of update. It does sound like it is a concussion situation. So God knows when he'll return. Uh, there were a lot of rumors swirling uh, before this past weekend that he could be making his return soon though. Um, but like I said, with concussions, you never know. Um, but I would think that he would have to also be in the world title, you know, picture once he comes back, especially since storyline wise, he has nowhere to go. It's not like he's going to be feuding with the elite anytime soon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so unfortunate. And it's it sucks that with like fish out that they won't get that perfect yeah. like elite versus undisputed. But actually now knowing that Kyle ended up having neck fusion s- surgery it kind of makes sense why they were willing to let fish walk. Um, because I mean, Kyle's at least a year out from being ready again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that whole feud was going nowhere anyway. So, I mean, it is what it is, but also, I mean, the reality of the situation is we don't know what the lead status is going to be once all the dust settles here. 
you know, with this investigation. Um, you know, it's scary to think like there could be a situation where they're not with the company anymore. You know, does, you know, I mean, I feel like a suspension would be enough, but then you factor in that they're, you know, company officials, that they're EVPs for crying out loud, and they're brawling in the locker room. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not a good look, but I could also see it be a situation where, you know, they're not willing to be in the company anymore if Punk's in the company. Because I don't know if Tony's going to be willing to cut ties with Punk because he is by far their biggest rating draw. But if he's going to keep Punk around, I mean, one, he's got to do a lot to convince the locker room that this is the right move. Uh-huh. Um, Because obviously people have soured on him big time. Uh, and maybe that's convincing Punk to apologize. And hopefully he's a big enough man to realize that he was in the wrong. Right. Like, you know, he would show up with hat in hand and apologizing for essentially burying the company, like I said before. Um, is that Punk's MO? Hell no. no. <laughs> I'm like, it all sounds nice, but that doesn't sound no, like it doesn't. Punk. But I just can't imagine being so delusional looking at that press conference uh-huh. and seeing the aftermath and thinking still that he was in the right. Like, I, I just can't, like him being a 40-something-year-old man, like, he, I think he's my age or older, and not seeing what he did as wrong. I just can't imagine, you know, being a grown-ass man in your 40s, like, he's my age, and not coming to the realization all the harm that his actions caused, not only, you know, with the elite, but to the company as a whole. Like, that's everything he was supposedly supposed to be rallying against. <laughs> yes. I don't know, man. And it's, I, I wouldn't. I, I, I get it. He's he's bringing in a ton of ratings. He's bringing mm-hmm. in a lot of money for them. Mm-hmm. I would not drop Kenny and the Young Bucks. Oh, for no, Punk no. If it, if, I'm a huge fan. And I Punk. don't know if it's going to come to that situation. But uh-huh. I agree 100 percent because, I mean, one, the Bucks and Kenny are both younger than Punk. I mean, he showed you in his last two matches, he's fucking injury prone. He's mm-hmm. in his mid 40s. While, yes, you know, you'll reap the benefits from maybe another year or two of ratings. I mean, does that really measure up to what you're going to get out of the Bucks and Kenny? I mean, God, I mean, the, the company was founded on their backs. Yes. You know, regardless of whatever narrative Tony now tries to sell like there wouldn't be an AEW if it wasn't for Kenny, the Bucks, and Cody. I mean, that's not debatable. So to think that there's even a situation where they'd be willing to part ways with the elite, you know, choosing punk over them would just be ridiculous, especially after his latest actions, you know, and, you know, showing that, you know, he has the maturity of a fucking 14 year old. And that's not me saying that they should 100% get a w- rid of Punk because, I mean, this is a business and Punk is going to help their business in the long run. Like, ideal situation is somehow working things out, making Punk see the error of his ways, which is doubtful. But at the same time, like finding a way to work together, you mm-hmm. know, as a whole and move on. Because, I mean, we said it before. 
plenty of examples of, you know, backstage drama and tension being turned into gold, you know, for TV. So, I mean, they just have to be businessmen, put their fucking differences aside and, you know, move on and make money. Now, with that being said, the likelihood of that happening now, knowing just how petty punk is, is slim to numb. But (laughs) punk also likes money. You know, he might want to pretend he doesn't, but he fucking does. Um, So I don't know. And hopefully, you know, everyone has a bad day. You know, hopefully Uh he comes to his, you know, senses and realize that he fucked up and he does make amends. I just don't know if I see that happening. But in the long run, that's what would be best for AW. Um, But like, it's got to be a one strike you know, policy when, when it comes to him then after that. Like, if he pulls anything like this, again, you've got to cut cut ties. Yeah, done. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just hope it all works out in the long run. But, like, you know, back to this past week's Dynamite, it was nice to see that AEW has a strong enough core that it can continue to march on, even without some of their key players. I mean, it's a company filled with stars and, you know, as long as I get to actually give them some more time, yes. push everyone, utilize them I, correctly. Yes. This is what they needed to put out um, this week was this episode, this type of show where it has some of the best wrestling matches we've gotten in months and, you know, some great promos from them. But anyway, join us next week as the soap opera known as AEW continues to turn. Uh, and as we recap all the latest happenings, we could be talking about Dynamite. Who the hell knows? <laughs> or we could be talking about another fucking brawl in the back i mean (laughs) at this point i would be surprised by anything so hopefully we're just talking wrestling next week though keep the fights in the ring i like my fights fake god damn it well that does it for this week that's right and as a friendly reminder if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform remember to subscribe rate and give us a five-star review exactly it sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow and while you're at it make sure to tell a friend Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Tony Gabagool, Grandma. Something but fat and nitrates. Gabagool. Over here.